here are the implications of it. Here's what all of this means. You know, a lot of times in Paul's writings, they'll come, you'll come to a point in his writing where he'll say, therefore, therefore is the doorway into orthopraxy. Doorway, it's the doorway into what do you do with this stuff? What do you do with all this theology that you've laid on us? Well, here it is. So the theological center of the book ends this way. Uh, first of all, in Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 40, the writer says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. This, this is my words, who exist as cheerleaders. They're an example of what to do in the midst of chaos because they lived in chaos. Number two, we are at this moment receiving a kingdom that is unshakable and immune to chaos. We're at this moment receiving a kingdom that is unshakable and immune to chaos. The whole front end of Hebrews is about chaos. It's about to live, it's about how to live in the midst of of persecution and disruption of every sort, how to, uh, how to live when things at church aren't going right, how to live. But he said, don't forget, we are now receiving something that is altogether different than what we've been living in. It's unshakable, it's immovable, it's dependable, it's immune to chaos. So one of the questions that, that rolled around in my, my head is what would I want to say to this group of people in Hebrews? What would you want to say to them? You know, we've, we've read and talked about a lot in these, these Hebrews lessons on how they were bailing out, how, how they were saying, I quit. I can't handle this anymore. What would you say to them? Isn't that the time when we need those kinds of reminders? Don't we really kind of need for somebody to say, all right, pull it together. This is how you live. Quit whining. Live like somebody who has received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Well, I, I think it's a kind of surprising list. You know, compared to my list, I think I would say different things. But I, I've reduced them to three ideas. And the first idea is keep loving one another. Keep loving one another. Now, when the Hebrew writer says this, he doesn't mean an occasional post to Facebook. That is not what he's talking about. It's, it's not even a, an instant message on your computer. Hey, I just wanted you to know that I love you. The Hebrew writer would say, that's nothing in the world of the kingdom. He says, keep loving one another. And what he's describing as an active, intentional 
response to other people. It's not enough to just say, I love you, much less to be so distracted by events that are going on around you that you forget the people that are right around you. An elbow's length from you. This is really hard work. I don't know of anything that's said in the Bible that's more difficult than this. Because what, what do you do when somebody is so obnoxious that you don't know if you can put up with them another second? Hebrew writer and Jesus would say, doesn't let you off the hook. Keep loving them. Remember, it was Jesus who said, love God, number one, love your fellow man, number two. Love God, love your fellow man. Self is not in that list. That might come later down the list, but it's not one and two. Love God, love your fellow man. You already know this, but I really pay attention to, I, it, it's kind of a curiosity to me how people respond. One of my favorite places to do that is at, at churches that uh, I'm a visitor at. And I, I'm warm and approachable and all that, and I, it's not I'm, like I'm making a hard test, but I just kind of stand out around and, and watch. Sometimes, hopefully, come on, come on, you can do it hoping that somebody will come up and engage me in conversation, but most of the time I'm disappointed. It's hard work. Or it's like the person who says, you offended me. I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. That's not Jesus' work. Or the person who thinks that the church is somewhere you visit. You know, I have my tribe... And then I have this place where I show up once a week. And I, I think what the Hebrew writer has said, in fact, in Hebrews 10.25, he said, do not give up on assembling together. And he's talking about people that are related by Christ. He's, he's saying it's, it's not enough to have a casual relationship, a pop in, pop out kind of relationship with these people. Listen to his elaboration. Treat each other as brothers and sisters. Treat each other as, as kin. He says, be hospitable to strangers. The word hospitable, uh, loving strangers in this text means, uh, no, pardon me, hospi hospitality is a word which means loving strangers. Literally, loving strangers. Hospitality, in this case, is not me inviting uh, Brett and Amanda over. Although, you know, in American use, that, that is a form of hospitality. But what the Hebrew writer is aiming at is, is loving people that I don't even know. It's really interesting what he says. He says, you, you really never know who's going to show up. It might be an angel. You ever had those sorts of conversations with people when you went, 
was, what was going on there? I, something, something wonderful just happened. And then he says in, in this list, remember those who are in prison. Remember those who are in prison and those who are mistreated. It's customary in our world to ignore people who inconvenience us, who make life difficult for us. I, I, don't, I don't want to deal with that. I'll just stay over here. I don't want to do anything bad to them. But the Hebrew writer says, no, you need to be intentional. You need to take some sort of action toward these people. Uh, so his second thing, which uh, probably is the most surprising in this list to me, in, to me is he says, give honor to marriage. Remember the great cloud of witnesses. Remember you have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Love one another and give honor to marriage. I really wonder what their day-to-day -day relationships look like. Uh, I, I wonder if there was something really disruptive to marriage in that culture. I do think it would have been easy to be loose in the joints. Think about Ukrainians. Think about uh, all those women, men who took their wives and children to the train station to go to Poland. And, and think about how that might have been the right thing to do, but also been disruptive to home life and, and, and to their love and the relationships that they have. Maybe it's, maybe it's something like that. Not that Ukraine is going on here, but there's something disruptive going on in their lives. It, it's, it's easy to, to let each other off the hook when times are tough. If I'm right, then life of Christ, the life of Christ would have taken a, a back seat to the easy path. Or perhaps to allow the culture to the lead the way. The writer believed that it was necessary to remind his readers to give honor to their marriage vows, to remember what you promised. A few years ago, it, it, uh, it occurred to me how much the Bible says about keeping your promise. Not just marriage, but all kinds of promises. God seems to be really concerned that we keep our promises. Jesus said, don't swear on the temple or on a stack of Bibles. Don't do all that. Let your yes be yes. Be people who, who honor your relationships and your vows. He reminded them that God would judge those who are immoral, and I think maybe you could skip to, uh, to saying those who, who don't keep their promises, who, who don't keep their marriage vows. Think about how little value is given to this in our world today. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, and I'm seeing this across the board, that we live in a culture who no longer believes that, that this is an important vow. I'm, I'm really unhappy to see programs like Love Island and Big Brother. Those are celebrations of the disruption of human relationships and objectifying people, turning people into sexual objects. What's happy about that? 
We're a hookup culture. And I think our culture could well listen to these words of advice. Number three. So he says, love one another, give honor to marriage, and number three, be satisfied with what you have. In a, a climate of chaos, when they have to be reminded that there's this cloud of witnesses and that they've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, he said, learn how to be content. I, I don't know how, how, discontent, or how yeah, discontent was cultivated in their lives, it was encouraged in their lives, I, I just don't know. Maybe there were times when they said, I hate my life, I hate what has become of my life of faith. Uh, I wished I was back in my homeland instead of being here. I think it may have been whether you were concerned about being prosperous or poor. Our daughter used to live in, in Texas and uh, in the Dallas area, she and her husband. And she and I have talked about this. And I said, you know, one of the things that was concerning to me about you was how you were kind of living in a uh, keep up with the Joneses sort of culture. And you were being affected by that. And maybe this is a first century version of keeping up with the Joneses. Maybe it was, we don't have what they have, or we don't enjoy the same cultural inclusions that they do, or any number of things like that. What would happen to discontent if we learned to, to love a cup of coffee, a good book, meeting with a friend for drinks, seeing our children enjoy, enjoy a camping trip to the Sierras or catching a fish from the bank. What would happen if we learned just to be quiet? I love quiet. You know, we just we fill our minds with noise. The Hebrews writer said that the secret to contentment was realizing that the Lord is constantly present and willing to help. Now, I don't think he's talking about a magic, magic bullet sort of thing here. But maybe it comes in the form of inherent value, seeing in, inherent value in simple things, of things with, with true value, rather than in coveting and wanting to have what the world offers. He finishes up with, with a thing about leaders. I, I, the writer believed that leaders are meant to be guides in this life, wherever, that, wherever they come from. They taught, he says, they taught you the word of God. They taught you the word of God. But our world teaches contempt for people you don't agree with. It's really hard to, to teach respect. I have a, a friend who, who teaches in university, and he says, you know, it's really hard to teach my classes what I think they ought to, to learn because I know that all it takes is one, one of those students deciding to, to get even with me or because of something I was talking about in class or, and a bad report, and now I get called in on the carpet by the head of the department. Where's Where's respect? Where's a student going up to the professor and saying, hey, I was wondering about this, or here's what I think, and having dialogue and respect? 
but our world doesn't teach that. How do we restore respect for those who, who teach us particularly things about Christ, but also other important facts in life? So I think the Hebrew writer would conclude by saying that the world is a dangerous place. It's a chaotic place. Chaos and disorder that causes us to take our lives off Jesus and put it on other things. Uh, so much so that, that I say, you know, it's so chaotic and disruptive that I can't pay attention to you. You, me. I've got my important stuff to do. Or it might extend to, to my family for me no longer taking seriously the, the promises that I make to my family. And sometimes it, it comes in the form of being discontent with my life. Let's have another baby. Maybe that'll make us happy. Let's move to a new house. Let's buy another car. Let's do this. Let's do that. Instead of being content. Paul, I, I think, was probably the master of this in saying this. He said, I've learned... In whatever, I state, in whatever state I am, to be content. He says, I, I, can, I can go to a steak restaurant and have a big old porterhouse, or I can go to McDonald's. I, I'm content wherever I am. I hope I've, I've prompted you to think about first century chaos and, and, and maybe make the transition to thinking about your own life and our own culture in ways that chaos may come to you and make life difficult to live. And I think at those times the Hebrews writer really offers us some great advice. Love one another. Honor your vows. Be satisfied with what you have. Let's pray. Oh God, above all else, we pray for attention to you and you alone. May we see your majesty and wisdom, never trusting our own instincts rather than your eternal truth. Keep us from thinking that we know the best. In Jesus' name, amen.